scripture reading this morning is going to be in Acts 27, and we're going to read down through verse 10 of chapter 28, so a little bit more than a chapter here. Uh, Go ahead and remain seated. I'll read this text for us. Acts 27, beginning with verse 1. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramatium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the winds did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, We gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. 
And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied to the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that they were all brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he had escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of the place were lands belonging to the chief men of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Father and our God, we ask that you would uh, give us clarity on this text of Scripture this morning. Help us to learn the spiritual lessons that you would have for us from the example of the Apostle Paul and uh, this storm and the tragedies that uh, befell this crew during this voyage uh, to, to the city of Rome. I pray that each, each of us would uh, learn and grow from our study of Scripture this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up our study of the book of Acts this morning in the 27th chapter uh, which is a detailed account of Paul's journey as a prisoner to the city of Rome. Uh, Luke is on board the ship with Paul at this point, which is why you notice throughout that passage the pronouns we and us are used. Uh, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is writing from his 
uh, firsthand experience. And so he kept very specific records of all of these things that took place, so much so uh, that many historians and archaeologists even today have studied this particular passage uh, to learn about the ancient methods of sailing. Uh, Obviously, the main focus of the text here is on the storm that hits them as they're sailing across the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, I just so happened to have been in Caesarea, uh, where they left back in 2015 when a typhoon hit. And so I went back on my laptop to see if I had any pictures of it. And sure enough, I I had a couple of them. So this was, uh, let's see, this is the night that we landed in Tel Aviv at the airport. You can see the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, later, as we got to Caesarea, this is what the uh, the sea looks like from the shore there. And then right toward night is when the uh, when the storm hit us. And so I don't know if you can see that very well, but it got crazy. And a little while after this, the power went out, so I couldn't really take any pictures because it was all pitch black outside. Uh, but storms on this particular sea are very common, and they are very strong. And so uh, just kind of help you visualize what this looked like. And just so you don't get the wrong idea, the Mediterranean Sea, this isn't like a lake. Okay, you can turn the light back on there. You're good. Uh, This is a a humongous body of water. Okay, so you all are familiar with Lake Michigan right up the road from here. I looked this up yesterday. The Mediterranean Sea is 43 times the size of Lake Michigan. Okay, so Lake Michigan's huge already, uh, but Mediterranean Sea, you can fit 43 of those uh, inside. So if you're you're caught in the middle of the sea during this storm, uh, a strong typhoon like this, you're pretty much dead. Uh, especially given the way that the, the ships were built back then, uh, many ships were lost during these types of storms. And so as we read through the text today, just understand these sailors are fighting for their lives. They're scared to death. Uh, this isn't just bad weather. This is a real uh, threat to them. Right at the outset, after reading the text, I had in mind a, a particular question. Uh, why? <laughs> why did God allow all of this to happen? Why did God cause Paul's ship to be caught in this terrible storm for 14 days. What was the point of all of these things? And hopefully we can find the answer to that as we work through the text. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Paul's been a prisoner in Caesarea for a couple of years at this point. As we saw last week, he has appealed to Caesar. So now he's going to be transferred from Caesarea in Israel all the way up to Italy, the city of Rome. And he's going to stand trial before the emperor there. I'm going to read through these first, I think, seven or eight verses here just with the map on the screen so that you can visualize the places. Feel free to follow along uh, the text in your own Bible if you'd like. I'm not going to have the verses uh, up there. So verse 1, again, remember, they're sailing from Caesarea. This is where they're starting, and they're trying to get all the way up here to Rome. Okay, verse 1 says, When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So he's being transferred to Julius's authority. He's in charge of this prisoner transfer. Verse 2, And embarking in the ship of Andromatium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. Okay, so this would be the province of Asia. So the ship was headed that way anyway. It says, We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon. So one day's journey, they go from Caesarea to Sidon and they catch the ship that's headed up to Myra. It says in verse 3 that Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So they stop probably for just a day here in the city of Sidon. And interestingly, that last phrase there in verse 3 that says he allowed Paul to be cared for is a medical term. So it may be that Paul was sick during this time and uh, needed some medicine or something uh, from his friends there in Sidon. 
Verse 4 says, They put out to sea from there, and we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Okay, so they're headed uh, from Sidon to Myra, which if you look at it, there's a straight line right across here. But because the winds, and this is going to become important as we go along here, so try to follow with this. Uh, During the summer months, the winds blow from the west to the east in this part of the world. Okay, so they're blowing from here to this direction. And so as they're in a sailboat, of course, you can't necessarily control which way you're going uh, very well. You just kind of go with the wind and, and wherever it takes you. And so they're, they're, they want to go this way, uh, but the winds are blowing from the west here over to the east. And so it kind of pushes the ship around the island of Cyprus and they have to go kind of a longer route uh, to eventually get where they're trying to go. So during the summer months, again, the winds blow from west to east. During the winter, they kind of reverse and they blow from the east to the west. And so they leave during the summer, and in fact, we know pretty much exactly when it was. Uh, it would have been either July or August of A.D. 59. Uh, early in July that year is when Festus was put in as governor over this province. Uh, very quickly, Paul appeals to Caesar, and so it would have been right that same summer uh, when they are sent off to Rome. And so at this point, we might be late July, maybe early August uh, as they're sailing. Verse 5 says, when they had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. So they've sailed, just like you can see right here, along Cilicia, Pamphylia, they come to Myra. Uh, Then the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So they're at Myra and they happen to come across, uh, as we'll find out later, a grain ship. Okay, not a passenger boat, but a grain ship. It's a cargo ship that's uh, transporting grain from this, this area in Myra uh, up to Rome. And so they basically catch a ride with these guys and uh, get on board their ship. Verse 7, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. So again, uh, and then verse 8 says, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, Uh, near which was the city of Lassia. So they're sailing with difficulty, Luke says, during this time. And if you look at the map, you can understand why that would be. If the winds are coming from the west to the east, they're sailing the opposite direction. Okay, They're going directly towards where the summer winds come from, uh, trying to make it up to Rome. And so as they're going from here to Snidus, down to Salmon, and eventually to Fairhavens, where they end up here on Crete, it's a very slow, uh, methodical traveling method. Basically what they're having to do, because the winds mostly are blowing from the west, uh, they're having to weigh, they're, put their anchor down, uh, stop, wait until there's a little bit of wind going the direction they want to go. Then they pull up the anchor, they sail for a little way, and as soon as the wind turns again, they got to put the anchor back down. And so you can imagine many days of this very slow progress until they eventually make it to this place called Fair Havens on the island of Crete. Okay, well, back to the verses here on the screen now, now that you've kind of seen where they're at. Fair Havens here on the island of Crete. I imagine this is basically like Maui, uh, given the name Fair Havens, you know, palm trees, very nice place there. And so they kind of stay there for a while, uh, maybe also just waiting for, again, a favorable wind that will get them in the direction they want to go. Verse 9 says, Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them. We'll get to what he says in a minute here, but just so you understand, from November to February, uh, there was no travel across the Mediterranean Sea. It was known that was hurricane season, a very dangerous time. Nobody would dare to travel 
uh, from November to February. And so you had to get where you were going basically sometime in October because then you were kind of just stuck there for the rest of the winter. Uh, At this point, the fast refers to the Day of Atonement, which was October 5th of this year. Okay, so at this point, this has already passed. We're into October, uh, maybe even into the early parts of November. And so very dangerous time to travel is coming uh, very quickly. And so they need to figure out a game plan for what they're going to do, uh, where they're going to stay for the winter months. Paul says to them in verse 10, this is his advice. He says, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our own lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So the harbor of Fair Havens, where they were, was not a good place to be during the winter months, okay? So this is just kind of zoomed in that same map on the island. Fair Havens is right here, and they're kind of exposed to those fierce winter winds that come from the east. You can see that if their boat is right here, they're going to be hit by those storms. So they want to go across the other uh, side of the island of Crete over to this side to where the land will provide a natural protection uh, from those fierce storms that come during the winter months. And so they're not trying to travel very far, just kind of across the other side of this little island so that they can be protected, they can hunker down there uh, for the next three months or so until it's safe to travel. Uh, Verse 13, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. So they're just kind of going very closely along the shore up to this other side. They got a gentle southern wind blowing, and so it's keeping them close to the land, and they think they're going to make it. Uh, And just so you can kind of see a little bit better what this would look like, here's an aerial shot of the island of Crete. That's this mass right here. And so Fair Havens is right about here. They're trying to just get around to this this tip of the island. So normally this would only take an hour, maybe two hours to sail from one end of the island to the other. And so they they basically take a chance here. They think we've got a gentle breeze here. We can get over to the other side. Uh, We'll be in in a better place there to last for the winter. Uh, Verse 14, but soon, basically as soon as they let off and they decided to go for it, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. So this is a wind coming from the north and the east, and it hits them. And so it pushes them away from the island of Crete. And this isn't just a windy day. This is a storm, a hurricane. And so if we're looking at a weather report, it might look like this. Uh, Right as they leave the island, boom, it hits them. And so now they're in real trouble. It was a risky move. Paul advised them, uh, this is not a good idea, guys. But they thought they could make it. And yet the worst case scenario hits them. Their ship is blown out into the open sea. Verse 15, when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, uh, we gave way to it. Oops, sorry, I think I skipped ahead. Uh, When the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So nothing they could do. The storm just kind of carries them uh, where it's going. Verse 16, running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. So, They happened to be somewhat near to a very small island that provided a little bit of protection just for, you know, maybe 30 minutes or something as they're passing by it. 
little protection from the fierce uh, waves and wind. And so they, they decide to make some preparations uh, to, to secure their boat as best as they can. Uh, first thing they do is they pull up the lifeboat, where it says they secured the ship's boat. So you've got the main ship, and then you've got a little sort of canoe type thing, a lifeboat that would be used in case of emergency. And so they hoist that up into the ship, they secure it, uh, so that it's not going to you know, be, be uh, basically ripped away from them during the storm. And then it says, verse 17, fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear and they were driven along. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. So again, this is probably a grain ship that they had caught a ride on. And the storm is so fierce that they had to lighten the ship. Uh, they start throwing the cargo overboard. So when the, with the high waves during the storm, uh, the water would come up over the top of the ship and eventually it would fill up the ship and you would sink. And so in order to raise the boat in the water a little bit, they start dumping off the heavy cargo into the sea. Uh, but throwing off all this cargo doesn't quite achieve what they're wanting it to. And so verse 19 says, the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard uh, <clears throat> with their own hands. So uh, the tackle is what was used to raise and lower and direct the sails. Pretty important piece of equipment. And yet they're so desperate just to not sink out here in the middle of the sea and drown that they toss over the tools that were used to control the ship. That gives you an idea of just how fierce this storm was and how desperate they were. Verse 20, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Uh, without the stars, they couldn't navigate. They didn't know which way they were going. They had no idea where they were. It was just water as far as the eye could see in every direction. And this hurricane wind, this storm just kept surging day after day. And eventually, no hope remained. Even if the storm stopped, they had no idea where they were. Uh, even if they knew where they were, they had thrown the tackle overboard, and so they couldn't really control the ship's direction. They were at the mercy of the wind and the waves. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I told you so. That's Paul's, uh, how he begins there. Verse 22, yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Now, I wonder how this speech of Paul was received. We're not told what people thought uh, as they heard Paul's uh, you know, confident speech here. We're not told whether they laughed at him, thought he was crazy, uh, maybe just didn't listen to him, or, or whether they actually believed what he said. But it must have been quite a shock for Paul to stand up in the middle of all this chaos and declare with absolute confidence, guys, everything's going to be fine. Uh, we're going to make it. God told me tonight, I sent an angel to come and tell me we're going to survive. Verse 27, after Paul had declared they were going to find an island somewhere, <clears throat> says the 14th night had come. So two weeks of this. Can you imagine uh, that long being at sea, uh, violently tossed by this storm? 
Uh, we're used to hurricanes, you know, maybe for a couple of days hitting a certain state, but basically the boat is being carried along with the hurricane. So it's not like it's just passing over them. They're just stuck with the storm as, as far as it's traveling. And so they're being driven across the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So it's the middle of the night, they can't see anything, but they probably hear the waves crashing uh, into the rocks, and so they realize, hey, I think I hear uh, some land somewhere near us. Verse 28 says, they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. So what this refers to is a practice of measuring the depth of the water you're in. Uh, Basically, they took a really heavy rock, uh, secured it to a rope, and they would lower it down until it hit bottom and went slack. And then they realized, okay, that's how deep the water is. And so they did it the first time, 20 fathoms, that's a a distance. Uh, And then they did another time, 15 fathoms. So they're getting more and more shallow uh, water. And so they realized we're getting closer to land. Uh, The the ground underneath is uh, getting less and less deep. And so this must have been quite a relief to them. Finally, uh, land is close by, but it also presents a whole new problem. The storm hasn't stopped. And with the speed at which the wind is uh, blowing this ship, it would crash into the rocks and be destroyed. And then they would be stranded there on whatever island it was. Verse 29, fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come, presumably so they could see what they're doing here. Verse 30, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. So some of the sailors get the bright idea to sneak off uh, and leave the rest of them there. They want to take the, the lifeboat and make a run for this island. But Paul says in verse 31 to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So they cut off the, the little lifeboat there and let it, uh, let it sail away. Uh, it's fascinating at this point that Paul is now in charge, right? He started off as a prisoner. Uh, now he's, he's barking orders and everybody's listening to him because he's been right about everything so far. And so he's, he's sort of taken charge of this whole operation. Uh, even the centurion is now taking orders from the prisoner, Paul. Uh, verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you, take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair uh, is to perish from the head of any of you. It's a kind of a colloquial way of saying you're all going to be fine, uh, no harm will, will come upon you. Verse 35, when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. Okay, so he tells them to eat. Uh, Eat up, eat a good meal, because as we're going to see in a minute, they have to swim. And so they're going to need all the strength that they can to get to the island. uh, And so they need to to get, get some food in their system. Verse 38, when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So now they've thrown the last of, of the food off the ship again, trying to raise the boat uh, so that it'll go in as, as far as close to the island as possible before hitting bottom uh, so that they can actually swim in and make it to the island. Verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed, again, they have no idea where they are. They haven't had stars for many days. There's been cloud coverage, and so they're completely lost here. Uh, they don't recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. 
So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. They hoisted the foresail to the wind. They made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So the ship gets caught in a reef a little ways from the island, and they can't quite get it uh, to where they wanted it to go. It's stuck there. It can't move. And the waves from the storm are still pounding into the side of the ship now, and it's breaking uh, the ship apart. So verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. Uh, You need to understand here, if a Roman soldier lost a prisoner under his guard, he would pay for it with his own life. And so they would rather kill the prisoners than have them escape. And since they're all realizing uh, we're going to end up jumping in the water and swimming to this island, uh, there's a possibility of the prisoners escaping. Verse 43, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Absolutely amazing. 276 people uh, survived this 14-day typhoon that carries them all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, and they end up alive uh, on this little island. After we were brought safely through, verse 1 of chapter 28 says, then we learned the island was called Malta. Okay, so back to our map here. They have made it all the way here to the island of Malta, which really is is quite on their way. I'm sure they didn't plan it this way, uh, but they've actually made pretty good time as far as their trip to Rome goes uh, on this little island. And so they've traveled all the way across basically this this open part of the sea, and now they're not not too far uh, from Italy. Verse 2 of chapter 28 says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So Paul barely survives this crazy storm. They end up crashing. He swims to this island. And as soon as he's there, gathering firewood, a poisonous snake uh, was apparently hiding in the sticks and it feels the heat of the flame. So it kind of leaps out, jumps out and bites Paul. Uh, This guy cannot catch a break today. Uh, Verse 4 When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Uh, Kind of a logical conclusion, given all the unfortunate things that keep happening to Paul. They think, boy, uh, the universe has it out for this guy. Uh, Verse 5, He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, the natives know that this was a poisonous snake. It's not like, uh, you know, they recognize this snake as a very poisonous, dangerous viper. And it's not like it just tried to bite him and missed, or maybe it barely nipped him, but not enough to actually kill him. No, they saw the snake fastened on Paul's hand, hanging from him. And so Paul then just walks over to the flame, shakes the snake off. And the people, of course, are absolutely amazed. Verse 6, they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now that's quite a reversal. Uh, But now Paul has a captive audience. And Luke doesn't tell us what Paul does here, but I have a pretty good guess. Uh, Given the pattern of the Apostle Paul's life all throughout the book of Acts, anytime something like this happens, uh, he would present Christ to them. 
And no doubt, that's what Paul did here as well. Uh, Verse 7 says, In the neighborhood of the place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And so there's this great ministry of Paul for these days. And as we'll, if you look down at verse 11, it actually says they were there for three months. And so he's healing people. Uh, the whole crew is able to stay on this island for the remainder of the winter. And he has a great opportunity here to preach the gospel. In verse 10, as they're leaving, uh, three months later, it says they honored us greatly. When we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And that's where we're going to end off uh, today. We'll see the rest of it next week. And so they head up from the island of Malta to Rome. Again, we'll catch that next week. I want to close, though, with just a few lessons, a few spiritual lessons I think we can learn from the example of the Apostle Paul in this text. Uh, First of all, I just want to highlight a phrase we went over very quickly back in verse 23. It says, uh, Paul speaking here, he says, This very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Paul considered himself as a slave of his Lord. He often uses that very language in his letters. He he addresses Christians and says, you know, Paul, a slave of God. Uh, He considered himself as belonging to the Lord. Many of us, I think, would say we worship God. We're comfortable with that part. But would we say we belong to him, that he owns us? Uh, Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, Christ's death in our place should cause us to have a desire and feel an obligation to live our lives to his glory. Secondly, we learn from this text to trust in the word of God. That's really, I think, the main focus of this text. What does it look like? Uh, for us as Christians to trust God. What does that even mean? What does it mean in the midst of trials and circumstances, storms, uh, whatever you may, it might be in our lives? What does it mean to trust in God? Uh, notice Paul says to this hopeless crew on board this ship, back to verse 22, uh, Yet now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And he could say that with such certainty because, verse 23, For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, reiterating the promise that God had made to Paul uh, way back in Caesarea. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul could speak with confidence because he had a word from God. Uh, He wasn't just trusting blindly, everything's going to work out, uh, everything's going to be fine. No, God had told him that very specifically. You're going to Rome, you're going to stand before Caesar. And and, uh, the Lord also told him, everyone on board the ship is going to be safe. And so despite the circumstances looking hopeless, Paul trusted in the promise of God. And we too ought never to be shy about the things that God has said clearly. In this case, it was the purpose of God to get Paul to Rome. He had promised Paul, again, back in Caesarea years prior, you're going to stand before Caesar. And nothing was going to stop that purpose of God from being accomplished. 
Now, important side note here, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Uh, Just because God had a plan for Paul to get him to Rome and he had promised him safety, that doesn't mean there's not going to be any difficulties along the way. Uh, The storm, the shipwreck, all of that was a hardship, a trial that Paul had to endure. And I would also point out that trusting God doesn't mean inactivity. Uh, Notice that God tells Paul, you're going to survive this storm, so will everyone on the ship. And yet, Paul is there standing up in the ship giving orders. He tells them to eat, to build up your strength. He tells them, don't use the lifeboats. He tells them, grab a piece of wood to hold on to, all these instructions. And so he's telling them to do certain things in order to be saved. So it's not, it's not like a passive thing where we're just supposed to uh, trust God's promise and do nothing for ourselves. Just sort of uh, trust that he's going to work everything out. Uh, examples I've used in the past, uh, of course, are, are generally just people thinking, God's going to meet my needs. God's going to care for me financially. I don't have to get a job. Well, hold on. <laughs> uh, that's not how it works. Trusting in God doesn't mean we just leave it up to God and do absolutely nothing ourselves, including the things that God tells us to do. Uh, other examples, you might think, I'm trusting God for my health, uh, and yet you're eating terribly, you're not exercising, you know. Well, that's not really trusting God at that point, that's testing God. Uh, that would be like Jesus jumping off the building saying, okay, God, catch me. Uh, that's not trusting God, that's putting God to the test. And so we are supposed to trust in God's promises, but that doesn't mean inactivity, and it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Next, uh, Along these lines, another principle I see in this text is the the necessity of godly friends. As we face trials that come in our lives, what what a great friend uh, Luke was to Paul. Uh, Here he and Aristarchus stick by Paul's side, even as he's being carried off to Rome. They didn't have to go uh, on this trip. They could have just abandoned Paul and said, okay, well, Paul's apparently locked up. Uh, His ministry seems to be kind of coming to a very quick close. And so we're just going to go on about our way and and, uh, preach the gospel ourselves. No. They stick by him. Uh, Luke even stays with Paul as he's a prisoner in Rome. Uh, Paul refers to Aristarchus and Luke later in his letters as his fellow prisoners. Uh, Paul calls Luke, in one of his letters, the beloved physician. And in the very last words that Paul ever penned in 2 Timothy, the very last chapter, uh, Paul is writing about all that he's going through, how people are abandoning him as he's uh, sitting in, in prison in Rome awaiting his execution. And Paul says, only Luke is still with me. Luke stayed by Paul's side for all of those years through the hardships like the prison, the shipwreck, the storms. Luke was a great friend to the Apostle Paul. None of us were ever meant to walk alone as we follow Christ, especially through difficult seasons of our life. Uh, We all need godly friends. Uh, Back to the question I raised at the start. I haven't quite answered it yet. Uh, Why? Why did all of this happen? Why did God cause this storm to blow the ship around for 14 days and uh, and cause all of this chaos? I think at least one reason for all of this was God's intention to bring the gospel to the island of Malta, uh, this little island out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea that really nobody had any reason to go to. And yet, Paul ends up spending three months there. God gave Paul a great opportunity to witness. Uh, All of the crewmen knew that Paul had predicted everything that was going to happen. No doubt many of them uh, were convinced that Paul's God was the true God. And then the natives of the island, they see Paul bitten by this poisonous snake that does him no harm. They see him healing diseases and sicknesses. And so this was a great opportunity for Paul to share Christ with those on this island in the middle of the sea. And by the way, if you go there today, there's a little bay 
on the island of Malta called St. Paul's Bay, uh, where he landed all those years ago. And tradition tells us that this occasion was when the Church of Malta was founded uh, by the Apostle Paul during these months, and uh, Publius became the first pastor there. All of this tells us, first of all, that God really does care about individual people. God cares enough about those few natives out in the middle of this, this, uh, the sea in this island, enough to cause all of this crazy stuff to happen just to get the gospel to those people. And secondly, I think we should take away from this the fact that God is always doing far more than we realize. We look around us in the moment and all we see is the storm. We see the wind, we see the waves, uh, we see nothing good coming of the circumstance around us. And yet God is doing much more than we may realize. I said before that God is always doing 10,000 things at once, and you might be aware of three of them. Lastly, I just want to point out Paul's attitude during all of this. What does it look like to trust God? Uh, First of all, he had a calm about him. When everybody else was panicking, Paul wasn't. He trusted God's providence. And that should be characteristic of all Christians, that we are calm when the world around us is in chaos, because we trust in an all-wise God who is ordering the universe and accomplishing his purposes. Uh, back to verse 33, when it was about to day to, uh, I'm sorry, as day was about to dawn, uh, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread, and notice verse 35, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Paul encourages them in the middle of this violent storm, in the middle of all of this chaos, have some food. And then he takes some bread and he gives thanks to God and he eats. What a great testimony that is. Right in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the chaos and the desperation all around him, Paul is giving thanks to God, calmly eating a meal, and trusting in God's providence, trusting that God's will is going to be done. This kind of leadership that Paul displays, I think, is why everyone on board begins to listen to him, in addition to the fact that he's just uh, predicted everything ahead of time and it's happened the way he said, uh, but also just his demeanor. He was calm. He was joyful. Even in the midst of chaos and fear, he was trusting in his God. And so I close today with the words of King Loon from the Chronicles of Narnia. It's not often I get an opportunity to quote Narnia in a sermon, but it fits well here. Uh, He says to his son, For this is what it means to be a king, to be first in every desperate attack, last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. Uh, That should be the heart of a true Christian, that we rejoice in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, calmly trusting in the providence of our God.